0: The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment by Jeremiah Burroughs. This work is considered public domain. Please visit anchor.fm forward slash reformed in public. 2. It is the quiet of the heart. All is sedate and still there, that you may understand this better. I would add that this quiet, gracious frame of spirit is not opposed to certain things 1. To a due sense of affliction, God gives his people leave to be sensible of what they suffer. Christ does not say, Do not count as a cross what is a cross. He says, Take up your cross daily. It is like physical health. If you take medicine and cannot hold it but immediately vomit it up, or if you feel nothing and it does not move you, in either case the medicine does no good but suggests that you are greatly disordered and will hardly be cured. So it is with the spirits of men under afflictions. If they cannot bear God's potions and bring them up again, or if they are insensitive to them and no more affected by them, then the body is by a draught of small beer. It is a sad symptom that their souls are in a dangerous and almost incurable condition, so this inward quietness is not in opposition to a sense of afflictions, for indeed, there would be no true contentment if you were not apprehensive and sensible of your afflictions when God is angry. It is not too it is not opposed to making an orderly manner. Our moan and complaint to God and to our friends. Though a Christian ought to be quiet under God's correcting hand, he may without any breach of Christian contentment complain to God, as one of the ancients says, though not with a tumultuous clamor and shrieking out in a confused passion. Yet, in a quiet, still, submissive way, he may unbosom his heart to God. Likewise, he may communicate his sad condition to his Christian friends, showing them how God has dealt with him, and how heavy the affliction is upon him, that they may speak a word in season to his weary soul. 3. It is not opposed to all lawful seeking for help in different circumstances nor to endeavoring simply to be delivered out of the out of present afflictions by the use of lawful means. No, I may lay in provision for my deliverance and use God's means, waiting on him because I do not know but that it may be his will to alter my condition and, so far as he leads me, I may follow his providence. It is but my duty. God is thus far mercifully indulgent to our weakness, and he will not take it ill at our hands if by earnest and importunate prayer we seek him for deliverance until we know his good pleasure in the matter. Certainly, seeking thus for help, with such submission and holy resignation of spirit, to be delivered when God wills, and as God wills, and how God wills, so that our wills are melted into the will of God, this is not opposed to the quietness which God requires of a contented spirit. But, when, but what then, it will be asked, is this quietness of spirit opposed to? 1. It is opposed to murmuring and repining at the hand of God, as the discontented Israelites often did. If we cannot bear this either in our children or servants, much less can God bear it in us. 2. To vexing and fretting, which is a degree beyond murmuring, I remember the saying of a heathen, A wise man may grieve for, but not be vexed with his afflictions. There is a vast difference between a kindly grieving and a disordered vexation. 3. To tumultuousness of spirit When the thoughts run distractedly and work in a confused manner, so that the afflictions are like the unruly multitude in Acts, who did not know for what purpose they had come together. The Lord expects you to be silent under his rod, and, as was said in Acts 19.36, he ought to be quiet and to do nothing rashly. 4. It is opposed to an unsettled and unstable spirit, whereby the heart is distracted from the present duty that God requires in our several relationships towards God, ourselves and others. We should prize duty more highly than to be distracted by every trivial occasion. Indeed, a Christian values every service of God so much that, though some may be in the eyes of the world of natural reason and slight, a slight and empty business, beggarly elements, or foolishness, yet since God calls forth the authority of the command so overawes his heart that he is willing to spend himself— and to be spent in discharging it. It is an expression of Luther's that ordinary works done in faith and from faith are more precious than heaven and earth. And if this is so, and a Christian knows it, he should not be diverted by small matters, but should answer every distraction and resist every temptation, as Nehemiah did Sanballat, Geshem, and Tobiah, when they would have hindered the building of the wall with this... I am doing a great work, so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease whilst I leave it, and come down to you? Nehemiah 6.3 5. It is opposed to distracting, heart-consuming cares. A gracious heart so esteems its union with Christ, and the work that God sets it about, that it will not willingly suffer anything to come to choke it or deaden it, a Christian is desirous that the word of God should take such full possession as to divide between soul and spirit, Hebrews 4.12. But he would not allow the fear and noise of evil tidings to take such a hold in his soul as to make a division, and struggling there, like the twin in, twins in Rebecca's womb, A great man will permit common people to stand outside his doors, but he will not let them come in and make a noise in his closet or bedroom when he deliberately retires from all-worldly business. So a well-tempered spirit may inquire after things outside in the world, and suffer some ordinary cares and fears to break into the suburbs of the soul, so as to touch lightly upon the thoughts. Yet it will not on any account allow an intrusion into the private room, which should be wholly reserved for Jesus Christ as his inward temple. 6. It is opposed to sinking discouragements. When things do not fall out according to expectation, when the tide of second causes runs so low that we see little in outward means to support our hopes and hearts, then the heart begins to reason, as did he in 2 Kings 7 2. If the Lord should open the windows of heaven, how should this be? We never consider that God can open the eyes of the blind. With clay and spittle, he can work above, beyond, and even contrary to means. He often makes the fairest flowers of man's endeavors to wither and brings improbable things to pass, in order that the glory of the undertaking may be given to himself. Indeed, if his people stand in need of miracles to bring about their deliverance, miracles fall as easily from God's hands as to give his people daily bread. God's blessing many times in, is a secret from his servants, so that they do not know from which way it is coming. As ye shall not see wind, neither shall ye see rain, yet the valley shall be filled with water. Second Kings 3.17 God would have us to depend on him, though we do not see how the thing may be brought about, Otherwise, we do not show a quiet spirit. Though an affliction is on you, do not let your heart sink under it so far as your heart sinks and you are discouraged under affliction, so much you need to learn this lesson of contentment. 7. It is opposed to sinful shiftings and shirkings, to get relief and help. We see this kind of thing in Saul or running to the witch of Endor, and offering sacrifice before Samuel came. Nay, good king Jehoshaphat joins himself with Ahaziah, Second 2 Chronicles 20.35, and Asa goes to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, for help, not relying upon the Lord, Second Chronicles 16.7-8. Though the Lord had delivered the Ethiopian army into his hands consisting of a thousand thousand, Second Chronicles 14.12 And good Jacob joined with his mother in lying to Isaac. Not content to await God's time and use God's means, he made too great a haste and went out of his way to procure the blessing which God intended for him. Thus do many, through the corruption of their hearts and the weakness of their faith, because they are not able to trust God and follow him fully in all things and always. For this reason, the Lord often follows the saints with many sore temporal crosses, as we see in the case of Jacob, though they obtain the mercy. It may be that your carnal heart thinks I do not care how I am delivered, if only I may be freed from it. It is not so many times in some of your hearts when any cross or affliction befalls you. Do you not experience such workings of spirit as this? Oh, if I could only be delivered from this affliction in any way, I would not care. Your hearts are far from being quiet. This sinful shifting is the next thing which is in opposition to the quietness which God requires in a contented spirit. 8. The last thing that quietness of spirit is uh, the opposite of, it is desperate risings of the heart against God by way of rebellion. That is the most abominable. I hope many of you have learned so far to be content as to restrain your hearts from such disorders. Yet the truth is that not only wicked men but sometimes the very saints of God find the beginnings of this when an affliction remains for a long time and is very severe, and an affliction remains and and an affliction. Is heavy indeed upon them and strikes them as it were in the master vein they find in their hearts something of a rising against God their thoughts begin to bubble and their afflictions and their affections begin to move in rebellion against God himself Especially is this the case with those who, besides their corruptions, have a large measure of melancholy. The devil works both upon the corruptions of their hearts and the melancholy disease of their bodies. And though much grace may lie underneath, yet under affliction there may be some risings against God himself. Now Christian quietness is opposed to all these things. When affliction comes, whatever it is, you do not murmur. Though you feel it, though you make your cry to God, though you desire to be delivered and seek it by all good means, yet you do not murmur or repine. You do not fret or vex yourself. There is not a tumultuousness of spirit in you, not an instation not an instability. There are not distracting fears in your hearts, no sinking discouragements, no unworthy shifts, no risings in rebellion against God in any way. This is quietness of spirit under an affliction. And that is the second thing where the soul is so far able to bear an affliction as to keep quiet under it. Three. Now, the next thing I want to explain in the description is this. It is an inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit. It is a frame of spirit and also a gracious frame. Contentment is a soul business. First, it is inward. Secondly, quiet. Thirdly, it is a quiet frame of spirit. I mean three things when I say that contentment consists in the quiet frame of the spirit of a man. 1. That it is a grace that spreads itself through the whole soul. It is in the judgment that is the judgment of the soul of a man or woman tends to quiet the heart. In my judgment I am satisfied. It is one thing to be satisfied in one's judgment and understanding, so as to be able to say, This is the hand of God, and is what is suitable to my condition, or best for me. Although I do not see the reason for the thing, yet I am satisfied in my judgment about it. Then it is in the thoughts of a man or woman, as my judgment is satisfied, so my thoughts are kept in order so that it goes through the whole soul. In some there is a partial contentment. It is not the frame of the soul but some part of the soul as some contentment. Many a man may be satisfied in his judgment about a thing who cannot for his life rule his affections nor his thoughts nor his will. I do not doubt that many of you know this in your own experience, if you observe the workings of your own hearts. Can you not say, when a certain affliction befalls you, I can bless God that I am satisfied in my judgment about it? I see the hand of God, and I should be content. Ye, in my judgment I am satisfied that mine is a good condition." But I cannot for my life rule my thoughts and will and my affections. Methinks I feel my heart heavy and sad and more than it should be. Yet my judgment is satisfied. This seems to be the position of David in Psalm 42. O my soul, why art thou disquieted? As far as David's judgment went, there was a contentedness, that is, his judgment was satisfied as to the work of God on him. He was troubled, but he knew not why. O my soul, why art thou cast down within me? This is a very good psalm for those who feel a fretting, discontented sickness in their hearts at any time to read and sing. He says once or twice in the, that psalm, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And in verse 5, And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope, in thou, hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. David had enough to quiet him, and what he had prevailed with his judgment. But after it had prevailed with his judgment, he could not get it any further. He could not get this grace of contentment to go through the whole frame of his soul. Sometimes, a great deal of disturbance is involved in getting contentment into people's judgments, that is, to satisfy their judgment about their condition. If you come to many whom the hand of God is upon, perhaps in a grievous manner, and seek to satisfy them and tell them they have no cause to be so disquieted, Oh, no cause, says the troubled spirit then there is no cause for anyone to be disquieted. There has never been such an affliction as I have. And they have a hundred things with which to evade the force of what is said to them, so that you cannot so much as get at their judgments to satisfy them. But there is a great deal of hope of attaining contentment if once your judgments are satisfied, if you can sit down and say in your judgment, I see good reason to be contented, Yet, even when you have got so far, you may still have much to do with your heart afterwards, your hearts afterwards. There is such unruliness in our thoughts and affections that our judgments are not always able to rule our thoughts and affections. That is what makes me say that contentment is an inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit the whole soul, judgment, thoughts, will, affections, and all are satisfied and quiet. I suppose that merely in opening this subject, you begin to see that it is a lesson that you need to learn, and that if contentment is like this, then it is not easily obtained. 2. Spiritual contentment comes from the frame of the soul. The contentment of a man or woman who is rightly content does not come so much from outward arguments or from any outward help as from the disposition of their own hearts. The disposition of their own hearts causes and brings forth this gracious contentment rather than any external thing. Let me explain myself, someone is disturbed, Suppose it to be a child, or a man, or a woman. If you come and bring some great thing to please them, perhaps it will quiet them, and they will be contented. It is the thing you bring them, sorry, it is the thing that, It is the thing you bring that quiets them, not the disposition of their own spirits, not any good temper in their own hearts, but the external thing you bring them. But when a Christian is content in the right way, the quiet comes more from the temper and disposition of his own heart than from any external argument or from the possession of anything in the world. I would unfold this further to you with this simile. To be content as a result of some external thing is like warming a man's clothes by the fire, but to be content through an inward disposition of the soul is like the warmth that a man's clothes have from the natural heat of the body. A man who is healthy in body puts on his clothes, and perhaps at first on a cold morning they feel cold. But after he has had them on a little while, they are warm. Now, how did they get warm? They were not near the fire. No, this came from the natural heat of his body. Now, when a sickly man, the natural heat of whose body has deteriorated, puts on his clothes They do not get hot after a long time. He must warm them by the fire, and even then they will soon be cold again. This will illustrate the different contentments of men. Some are very gracious, and when an affliction comes on them, though at first it seems a little cold, after they have borne it a while, the very temper of their hearts makes their afflictions easy. They are quiet under it and do not complain of any discontent. But now there are others that have an affliction upon them and have not this good temper in their hearts. Their afflictions are very cold and troublesome to them. Maybe if you bring some external argument to bear upon them like the fire that warms the clothes, they will be quiet for a while. But alas, if they lack a gracious disposition in their own hearts that warmth will not last long. The warmth of the fire, that is, a contentment that results merely from external arguments, will not last long. But that which comes from the gracious temper of one's spirit will last, when it comes from the spirit of a man or woman, that is true contentment. We shall, however, have more to say of this in explaining the mystery of contentment. 3. It is the frame of spirit that shows the habitual character of this grace of contentment. Contentment is not merely one act, just a flash in a good mood. You find many men and women who, if they are in a good mood, will be very quiet, but this will not hold. It is not a constant course. It is not the constant tenor of their spirits to be holy and gracious under affliction. I say that contentment is a quiet frame of spirit, and by that I mean that you should find men and women in a good mood not only at this or that time, but as the constant tenor and temper of their hearts, A Christian who, in the constant tenor and temper of his heart, can carry himself quietly with constancy, has learned this lesson of contentment. Otherwise, his Christianity is worth nothing. For no one, however furious in his discontent, will not be quiet when he is in a good mood. So, first, contentment is a heart business. Secondly, it is the quiet of the heart. And then thirdly... It is the frame of the heart.